Hello, and thank you for tuning in today to Issues of Interest from Bacon Newman Noise, where we cover assurance, tax, business advisory, and technology topics and trends affecting the banking and financial services industry. I'm Joe Jalbert, and I lead the banking and financial services practice here at BNN. Banks and financial institutions are constantly navigating volatility and change. Here at Issues of Interest, we help you stay current on what's happening in the industry so you can achieve success for your institution. Now, let's get into the episode. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Issues of Interest, BNN's podcast for the banking and financial services industry. I'm your host today, Nick Amen. I'm a tax manager here at Baker Newman & Noyce, and I have the pleasure of speaking with Adam O'Coin today, a tax principal. How are you doing today, Adam? Good. How about you, Nick? I'm doing well. I can't complain. So Adam, before we dive in, for new listeners here on the podcast, do you want to take a minute just to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do here at BNN? Sure. I'll keep it short and sweet as I th- probably have gone over this a few times in the past in other podcasts. I'm a tax principal here based out of Portland, really end up driving all over New England though. And I have a primary focus on working with financial institutions and their ever-evolving tax planning and compliance functions. Very good. What about That's you, mouthful. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, yeah, so I'm relatively new to the firm here. Uh, I joined about a year ago this May, and I am a manager in the tax field out of the Boston, Massachusetts office, and I specialize in mainly owner-managed businesses, a lot of flow-through companies, S-corps, and partnerships, and then I also do quite a bit of high-net-worth individual 1040 work as well. So I'm excited to be here with you today, Adam. This is a pretty hot button topic. Anyone that's been paying attention to the news or the tax news recently has probably heard of this new House bill, H.R. 7024, which is being called the Tax Relief for American Families and Workers Act of 2024. So there's a lot in that bill. You know, we're going to try to unpack as much of that today as we can and share a little bit of detail and insight on some of the provisions in that. But I think we're really focused today on if this passes, what is the effect on the banking industry, the financial institution industry? So, Adam, can you start off by just giving us a little bit of background on the bill and where it stands now before we get into the details of it? Sure. Happy to, Nick. This bill was a bipartisan effort. It was started in the Ways and Means Committee, probably even started before that with a pretty good lobbying effort from different groups in terms of some of the provisions in there. It went out of committee. I think it passed 40 to 3 in January, and then it passed the House 357 to 70 in mid-January. I mean, that's the type of environment that's pretty unheard of to pass like that. Yeah, a lot of those things. Definitely bipartisan, I think, is the word that's being used there. Definitely. So now it's gone to the Senate and that's where it's stalled. No surprise there is just especially in election year, there's lots of politicking going on and things going on and other priorities quite admittedly with some foreign aid issues and the upcoming funding they need to do for the government too. That's always seems to be pushed down the road. Right, right. So the Senate might want to mark up the bill. They might eventually bring it to the floor for a vote and maybe not make any amendments, but the more amendments that are made and the more marking up of the bills, the more chances I think this thing has of falling through. So we'll see where it ends up. I mean, originally the House was hoping for January 29th because that's when filing season began on the IRS end. Obviously that's come and gone. I think at this point, what we're hearing is mid-March is the earliest, but it wouldn't shock me if it even ends up being a little bit later than that or middly, we'll see. Maybe not at all. We'll find out. Right. It's always an option. Right. So I think that's something that we've seen as a result of some of that uncertainty there is feeling like a repeat of last year and really the last few years in the tax world, right? Where there's this 
big impactful legislation on the floor. And a lot of our clients are pumping the brakes a little bit and saying, hey, you know, there's some potential benefits here, either in the current year or perhaps we go back and these topics might be retroactive. So there's a chance that you'd go back and amend and get a benefit from prior years. But I've seen a lot of my clients, I'm sure some of yours as well, are saying, hey, let's kind of hold on. And maybe if we were going to file on time this year in March, let's put an extension in the works here and, and buy us a little bit more time. Is that what you're seeing with your clients, Adam? A little bit. In the banking world, it depends on the particular provision and the particular client. I think we're definitely seeing some of that and some of it in terms of some of the depreciation things, trying not to jump the gun too much, but as best we can moving along in the meantime. But a lot of these things are in this bill, whether they pass for now and we have to pump the brakes in terms of holding off our filings or whether it's just stuff we need to be thinking about because it's going to keep coming up and up and up. And I think even if it doesn't pass now, it's certainly going to be part of the agenda in 2025 post the election. Right. These things aren't going away. There's pretty massive lobbying efforts for a couple of these provisions. Absolutely. So let's get down to brass tacks a little bit here. What are some of the big ticket items in this bill? And what are your thoughts on why it's potentially important to the financial institution industry? Sure. The biggest one I've seen that seems to have the far and wide changes is on the depreciation side, there's a couple of different things there. And this really would impact both banks and their customers when I think about it from either lens. The bonus depreciation right now, as it stands, started to go down to 80% in 2023, and then it's going to go down in 20% declines until it phases away. This bill would retroactively go back and say, starting with the beginning of 2023, you get 100%. And that goes 100% then for 24 and 25. And then it goes back to its original phase down schedule which I think brings it right down to 20% in 2026. So it remains to be seen what will happen at that point. But this is big for some banks in terms of the ability to take accelerated tax depreciation deductions. There's also the Section 179 that's out there as well, which we do see a lot of our financial institutions utilize. There are some limits in place with that. It's about $2.8 million of qualified additions in a year before you start getting phased out of that. You also can't generate a net operating loss out of Section 179, which if this had been a couple of years ago, I would have not even dreamed that scenario for a bank. But given the current environment and the interest rates, some of the smaller institutions might be looking at that a little bit here. They're at least maybe on the state side. So Section 179 is still out there. There are some slight changes there, too. They would, I believe, increase the spending limits a little bit and index some of these things for inflation. But again, the bonus depreciation is big ticket for anybody who has that over $2.8 million of additions, or really where I see it more often is if you're looking at a cost segregation study. I've got a couple of banks with some pretty massive renovations coming in the service here soon and new buildings. They're looking at cost segs. And if you've got a $10 million project, and then let's say 25% of that is stuff you can take bonus depreciation on, there's a pretty big difference net present value-wise between 60% bonus depreciation in 2025 and 100% bonus depreciation. It's going to really move the needle and give banks some chance to take that cash and reinvest it and put it to better use, hopefully, and make more money in the meantime, just because of that net present value savings. Deductions are worth a lot more when interest rates are higher like this and your margin's getting squeezed. Absolutely. Other provisions that were in here that I was keeping an eye on, the R&D expensing, that's a one that's probably had the biggest lobbying effort in terms of at least what I was seeing and hearing from some of these big companies. In the financial institution realm, we don't see a lot in terms of research and development. A little bit on the software development front, we have a few banks that go there, take the credit. In these cases, starting in 2022, you had to start capitalizing these expenses. You didn't have the option of deducting all year one capitalize and you amortize for five years for domestic or 15 years for foreign. 
This bill would retroactively go back to 2022 and allow you the option of expensing R&D expenses in year one. I should qualify that with domestic. They have not put the foreign piece into that. So the few banks we have who take this would go back, get a pretty sizable deduction. But again, this is another one that only goes to the end of 2025. So it's just kicking the can down the road where something's going to have to give. But again, any deduction you can get in this type of environment, I think you try to go for. The other one that I look at, and this is definitely more in the bank customer face, is the 163J interest expense limitation. This section essentially limits the amount of interest expense that some companies can take. There's certain rules and certain safe harbors, and there's some small business exceptions here. But this is based off of earnings before income taxes right now. And in the past, it had been earnings before income taxes and depreciation amortization. So they would bring it back to the EBITDA base which again would hopefully allow people to get more in terms of interest expense deductions. We did see a little bit of limitations here and there with some of our other clients and not the small businesses. You have to be over, I think it's 25 million of gross receipts before this kicks in, though that is aggregated if you have some consolidated and other types of related entities. But again, this is more in the bank customer side because this interest expense limitation, if you saw a customer limited on the amount of interest expense they can deduct, They might be looking for different ways to finance and different ways to go about doing things. Do they look for leasing and renting options instead of financing options? So again, it could become a bigger deal down the road. So this would go back and again, through the end of 2025. Again, no impact on the bank. As a bank, you look at your net interest income, so your interest income over interest expense. And if that's inverted, you've got much bigger problems in taxes. So Absolutely. So you mentioned in there, some of these provisions would be retroactive. What does that look like for the taxpayer as far as the filing deadline, the statutes for limitations, timing of potential refunds and cash flows for them as a taxpayer receiving this benefit retroactively. I know the IRS has been pretty bogged down with a lot of the paperwork related to COVID provisions and everything else. And then all of a sudden we're throwing in this new tax bill and we're going back and potentially amending prior years as well. So has there been any discussion by the IRS or otherwise about their capacity to handle these new amendments and the impact of the cash flow here? Certainly been discussion points. I don't know if there's some great answers here and there in a lot of this. I think for some things like depreciation that only went back to 2023, the idea is that you'd have it on the current year filings and you wouldn't be much in the way of amending. Though the longer this gets kicked down the road and this bill doesn't pass, people are going to have filed and they can only extend so long before they have to actually file. So I think that could come down the road. The R&D expensing piece there was some language in that bill where they might actually allow you to do more of catch up in 2023 for all of 2022's expenses as well. So there's some different provisions and ways to go about it. Amending's an option. There might be ways to push it through the current year return or even be able to take, I think, 50% in one year and 50% in another. There were some different options in there. We'll see what the actual final bill says, but I do think this will cause some amending of returns. But hopefully they come up with a more practical approach where some of these things might be able to put another type of adjustment in the current year, a 481A adjustment if you're changing your accounting method or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah, hopefully they can find a way to expedite this. So one of the big ticket items in the news here was the cost of this bill, where they've estimated to be roughly $79 billion. How is the IRS going to pay for this? And what does that look like as far as getting passed? So there was really only one quote unquote, pay for in this bill. And I think depending on who you talk to, whether this is really a pay for or whether it's really not is up for debate, but they were going to end the employee retention credit program early. As it stood in that bill that passed the House, it was ending as of January 31st, 2024. So at that point, you couldn't file anymore. The idea being that there's such fraud and bad players in this game that they would curtail that and essentially stop further payouts that would essentially fund the bill because if they didn't, they thought 
through the end of, I think, April 15th, 2024 for 2020 claims. And then they have until April 15th, 2025 for 2021 claims. They just thought that amount was going to keep growing. So this, in essence, pays for the bill by ending a program early. I think that's up for some debate for a program that wasn't really funded to begin with necessarily. Sure. So, But that's the idea is that it would end. So I know there's been a lot of financial institutions that have been either on the fence maybe thinking they qualify or don't qualify. There's been a bit of a gray area. I do have an article on the website that has a little bit more in that area in terms of considerations. There's a chance that the boat may have passed and we'll see if it goes retroactively. Do they go back to January 31st or do they change the date as to they passed the bill in March? Do they change the date as of March? That remains to be seen, but it seems fairly likely that this program could either be ended early or certainly in the meantime, they ramped up the audits of them anyways. Right. So I think there are a few other bullet points in that House bill. I know that there was mention of the extended child tax credit. I think they changed some filing thresholds on 1099s. There's some mention of disaster relief in there as well. Is there anything on the ancillary items here that you think might be relevant to the financial services industry? Yeah, there is one more in there that's kind of low under the radar, but they they did do some work to maybe increase the low-income housing tax credit. They were going to allocate a little bit more amongst the states, change the rules in terms of how you receive the 4% credit. So I think if this bill were to pass, that low-income housing credit would revert a little bit back to what it was before, but it could make it a little bit more available on a wider basis, which could allow the banks to partake a little bit more in the financing and investing in these programs. Uh, We do have a number of financial institutions who are key players in the low-income housing tax credit world who work with them and have a number of projects. I think credit capacity and the ability to utilize those are certainly planning opportunities that you'd have to go back and work with the tax advisor. But I do think this program could be at least a little more available, or if nothing else, maybe at least as available as it is now, as opposed to maybe going the other way. So that was a little under the radar, but it could have some impact in the banks and ability to invest in these programs. Absolutely. So sort of outside of the bill here, but something that's applicable nonetheless, uh, I know there's been a lot of discussion about interest rates. You know, we've seen them rise and hike up pretty dramatically over the last few years. They've sort of plateaued at the moment, but there's some some rumors that they're expecting to drop perhaps mid-year in 24. How are you seeing that impact your clients and financial institutions in general? I think it just in general makes planning a lot harder. Their budgeting has been difficult to figure out what's going on with the rate and when they might drop. And it makes quite a bit of difference on the budgeting. Uh, 2024 has looked not quite like the last few years. It's looking a little bit more of a tougher year for many institutions. And then hopefully the idea is as the rates change, it starts to get better a little bit and they get more in back in the business they were. So it remains to be seen in that end. But the rate environment does make a difference and makes some of these things like these retroactive tax provisions that usually provide benefit and deduction up front. It just makes it that much more important to be able to utilize and make sure you're getting best use of your cash. Absolutely. Well, I think we've covered the bill in much depth as we can with the amount of time that we have, but is there anything else in there, Adam, in the bill or otherwise that you think we should touch on or bring to light for people? I think that pretty much covers it. I'll just caveat everything because I'm a CPA and that's what I do. That These are kind of bullet points and high hitting on a handful of topics. So make sure you're chatting with your trusted advisors on these things and how they can impact. Some financial institutions might find this pretty impactful. Some of them might see it not so much because they use Section 179 and don't have any software development and so forth. So keep that in mind and make sure you're chatting and actually doing the planning and effort. The idea here is not necessarily to tell people, here's what we're looking at, go do X, Y, and Z. It's the idea that 
here's what you should be thinking in the back of your mind and be able to act quickly if something passes and have an idea of how it might impact you. Absolutely. I echo that 100%. Certainly a, a big year for planning and for staying abreast of these sort of issues and interests. And this is exactly why we do this podcast and exactly why we're in this industry, right, Adam, to help people stay current on these topics and give them as much information as we can to make an informed decision. Correct. Yeah. The, the tax return and the compliance itself is sort of a byproduct of the planning. That's really what we're here for. Absolutely. Um, I will add just before I forget too, there is an article that I believe is being sent out today that's a little bit more in detail on this bill and what's in there, especially if you have concerns on more of the customer side or the individual tax side, it might cover some of those provisions a little bit more than we did today. So that will be up on our website and available soon and linked in the show notes of this podcast. That's a worthwhile read as well for a little bit more detail. Fantastic. That sounds great. Well, we are always monitoring and sharing updates and developments across all industries. So please stay tuned for more articles, podcasts, and resources from our team. And I think that just about wraps it up, Adam. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for listening to Issues of Interest from Baker Newman Noise. The BNN banking team thrives on solving complex business challenges and helping institutions meet their goals. You can find more of our industry content and subscribe to our newsletter at bnncpa.com. If you'd like to connect with a member of our team, email info at bnncpa.com. Bye now. is brought to you by Baker Newman Noise. The information contained in this episode is based on data available as of the date of its release. BNN is under no obligation to update this information as changes occur. BNN podcasts, events, and publications are intended to provide general information to our clients and friends. It does not constitute accounting, tax, or legal advice, nor is it intended to convey a thorough treatment of the subject matter. The information in this podcast may or may not apply to your individual situation. Consult a professional for help applying these concepts to your personal circumstances. Please contact Baker Newman Noise for additional assistance at info at bnncpa.com. More information can be found online at bnncpa.com.